0: What if you could get really good grief support for just $3 a month? If you're navigating life after loss, but are a little tight in the money department, consider becoming a patron of Coming Back on Patreon. Listeners who support this podcast on Patreon receive weekly grief journaling prompts released every Monday morning and a once a month private grief hangout with me. If you're looking for an easy, inexpensive way to stay in touch with your grief, become a patron now at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Your monthly pledge helps me keep this podcast on the air and allows me to produce online courses, books, and very special grief experiences for grievers just like you. Get started now at patreon.com slash shelbyforsythia. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. Today, musician Frankie Orella joins me to talk about becoming comfortable with the mystery of grief, why being in a safe or stable place in life can often trigger a big ol' grief spiral, and why hope needs time and space to heal in the aftermath of loss. Stay tuned to the end of this episode where I'm sharing Frankie's song Denial, the first in a series of five about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide and author who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief and I use what I learned to create a world where grief is welcomed normalized and even embraced. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Frankie Orella is a singer-songwriter from Nashville, Tennessee, whose latest project is a five-song series dedicated to the five stages of grief. Frankie is passionate about normalizing grief and uses her love of songwriting to give words and melodies to emotions people often feel uncomfortable expressing. When Frankie isn't touring and writing, you can find her at a local coffee shop, gym, or park. She lives with her husband of almost five years and their black lab dog child, Telly. Grief Growers, I'm really excited to introduce you to Frankie O'Rella, who has produced a series of songs about grief using the structure of the five stages. I listened to her very first song, Denial, and knew that I had to share her work with you. So Frankie, welcome to the show. And if you could uh, share your loss or grief-adjacent story with us, kind of what inspired this project.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get to chat with you. Um So, my mom died when I was 17. She was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was in the eighth grade, and she was sick for five years, went through chemo, radiation, all the traumatic things that come with cancer. Um, But I think after losing her, especially because I have grown up in the church, and the church didn't really know how to respond (laughs) to loss very well. Um, just a lot of cliche sayings, which not only church churchgoers say, but just the like, you know, well, God has a plan or you'll get better in time. And, um, you know, this will pass things that just, just if you walk through anything hard, you know, it's not true. And so, um, my gut reaction to that was like, I, I feel like a crazy person. I feel like no one understands me or other people who are walking through, um, something like this. And so I want to start a conversation, particularly for people in the church who don't know how to engage. um, But obviously, people outside of it as well, um, to just kind of join into that conversation. So that was kind of, that was a big part of why I want to do this project was continuously running into other people who like me, um, kind of felt crazy and isolated in the strange things that they were experiencing through their grieving.
0: I think that's really wise and insightful because there's almost like if I can't buy into the belief that I'm being given there's like a uh there's like an outcast feeling or like a craziness that comes with that like if I don't believe god has a plan then who am I what am I adjacent to this community right. and I wonder if you could speak a little bit more on that because I think there's a lot of people listening um who and me included who yeah. were raised in a christian tradition yeah. um who have either kind of floated away from that group of people or have had to find special subsets of those people that really honor grief.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a challenge. I think, um, before I walked into writing these stages or just the, the specific, like these five songs that are, you know, Elizabeth, uh, Cooper Ross's like stages of grief. Um, I was on staff at a church and there was a lot of suffering going on. um a little girl had been di- had been diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma, and then um she's like a friend of ours and then two months after my husband actually was also diagnosed with cancer so very um traumatic and scary and to watch a church community kind of flounder and like, what do we do and almost this fear of embracing that something is hard and sad um was strange to me because. Uh, while I've struggled with the church probably since losing my mom um, and as an organization, I think it's interesting because I don't think the gospel, the Bible, says to not be sad or to not grieve. So if you look historically, people took time to grieve their loved ones. Um, even though Jesus, there's a story about him raising someone from the dead, even though he was going to raise Lazarus, was this person, from the dead, he still took time to stop and grieve over that. And so I, I think that um, it's really touchy because I think, uh, unfortunately, um, churches are made up of imperfect humans, me being one of them. Like, I'm sure I've said things that have uh, really offended people um, or hurt them, um, unintentionally, of course, just like I think people in the church who speak into... um People's lives who are who are grieving large losses that you know, other people can't even comprehend if they haven't walked through something similar. They don't know what to say, so they kind of just talk when in reality, probably the best thing they can do is just sit and listen. But for whatever reason, the church is really uncomfortable with that, with with the sitting and their hurting um with sitting and brokenness, which I just think is ironic because I think that's what the church is supposed to do. I could totally just go on a rampage with that one, but does that kind of answer? what you're asking me a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I think I even want to dive into the rampage a bit. Okay. Um, because it sounds like this is something that has really informed your life. And despite that you have held some seat of I don't know if the word is authority, but like close membership within the church. And so you're like, despite andor inclusive of this, I'm still a part of this broken hole. Yes. Or this um dysfunctional hole that doesn't really know how to hold space for grief. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Mm um having somebody who has grieved in an organization or a space that doesn't know how to do grief well. And not necessarily that the role of of torch bearing or being the person who has these skills and is responsible for bringing them to the table falls squarely on you. Right. Um but I think there is something to be said for <laughs> like infiltrating organizations with the type of change <laughs> we want to see yeah. as opposed yeah. to walking away. Um, because I know the temptation for me, especially after my mom died and I was hit with all this, you know, God has a plan for everything, or time heals all, or he won't give you more than you can handle, blah, blah, Uh, blah. Not true. Um, (laughs) I was like, F that Middle finger, walk away. And so I've, I've shut that door to my life, at least through the avenue of traditional capital C church forever. I I have not returned to that type of organization. Um, so I'm really curious about this almost, um, uh, alchemy from the inside.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it is, very imperfect. And I think that, um, yeah, after I'm still struggling, especially I rolled off staff, um, of being on staff at a church as a music director in September. So it hasn't been very long that I've been out of the position of like leadership, um, had a church and, um, yeah, I think it's been very, very interesting, very imperfect, very, um, finding, I think, different ways to engage with God outside of, for right now, the structured building. Um, but also I think even going back to right after my mom passed, um, I think that initially I didn't feel very sad. I, I think I was so, um, just close knit into a church community that did take care of me, but it was kind of this strange, I don't ever want to say it was fake because who am I to say really what, what is real or what's fake, but it was a weird spiritual high that was very, um, looking back on it, I'm like, there's no way that was real, but I think it was denial, honestly, truly that was just carrying me through the kind of first few months. Um, but I was very like, oh, God's good. He has a plan. And, and not that I don't believe that that is true today. I, I still do believe that. But I think that the months that followed this time of spiritual high, whatever you want to call it, um, peace, whatever, uh, I dealt with debilitating anxiety and depression um, that I just had no idea. People would keep saying, "I'm praying for you," or they would pray over me. And again, not that I didn't appreciate it, but it was just this. Instead of me embracing, like, okay, something really traumatic just happened in my life. I have lost um, someone who I dearly love, who was it's she wasn't supposed to die. You know, like if as someone who is still like still calls himself a Christian, a believer, like I don't believe we were made for death. And so I don't believe we were meant to experience it. And so, of course, this is unnatural and I'm going to freak out. Um, So how I feel like something's wrong with me because I'm panicking and I'm having anxiety. And it honestly wasn't until right after I got married and then I started having like actual panic attacks. Um, My husband's great. It was not his fault. It was totally just grief that was resurfacing for me. And when I was having panic attacks, it was kind of the realization of like, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. Um, I think there's just a lot of grief that is still just sitting. It's like in my chest and needs to, it just needs to be talked about. It doesn't need to be prayed away because I don't think that's the goal of prayer. I think that I need to sit with it and I need people who are willing to sit with me in that instead of just patting me on the shoulder and reading scripture to me. Because when, sure, I believe there, there can be a time for that, but not when someone is in the pit of despair. Like if you see someone drowning, you don't just yell encouraging words like swim faster friend, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it's like, no, mm-hmm. throw that person a rope, go and get them.
0: Yeah. I want to, I, I really agree with that. And literally just wrote down the goal of prayer is not to get rid of grief. And I think people, especially during uh, national and international crises, um, natural disasters, mass shootings, epidemics, they're like, I'm praying for you as if that in and of itself is enough. And granted, sometimes prayer is all that we can do from where we are in the world, but slash and I'm like, if you're closer, prayer combined with action, with mindfulness, even financial donation is so, so helpful in the aftermath of uh, devastating loss. I want to circle back to this idea because I'm not entirely sure that I wrap my head around it and or um, kind of what you're getting at or the core of it here. And that is the sentence, we were not made for death. Yeah, because sure. I, I think from my perspective or the way I heard it is that you do not believe humans are made to die or maybe are good at experiencing death. Whereas I'm like, oh, we're definitely born and then it's inevitable that we die. So can we revisit that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in a physical sense, yes, we are going to die. It is inevitable. Totally agree with you. I think because I do still hold to um I guess the Christian tradition, like I believe what the Bible says about us being spiritual beings, and that before, you know, going back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in Genesis, if we talk about the fall of man. Um, when sin entered the world, all of that stuff, like before that, I don't, I think eternity is like inside of us as humans, like our spirits don't, I don't think our spirits die. And so when things happen, like death, which is why I think, you know, it does wreak such havoc on us. It's just not the way, I don't think it was the way it was meant to be. And that's kind of the tragedy of it. But also for me as a believer what has given me permission to grieve in a lot of ways for me personally, that's just, this is not, you know, there's not a God sitting up in the clouds, pointing his finger and shaking his head and being like, why? Like, this is dumb. You shouldn't be sad or like, just get over it. Um, like he grieves with us, I believe. So that's, that's kind of what I meant, which I realized can totally be controversial, but that's, That's kind of where I sit currently. No,
0: I really like that, and thank you for clarifying because it, at some point yeah. I was like, "Wait, do you believe we're just not ever supposed to die?" Um, no. Because I'm sure that's a, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure that's a school of thought that's out there somewhere, but oh, I've no, never not heard me, of sister. it, and I was no, like, no, "Oh no. my word!" No, I'm sorry. Um, that's really ca- no, that would find that <laughs> that would be revolutionary if that was the case because we would have never talked about that on coming back before. But no, I hear you, and the first thing that comes to mind. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Uh, I believe it came out in the mid '90s, but it was called mm-hmm. The Iron Giant. And um, it's beautiful. Grief Girls, if you've not seen it, it's animated. It won several awards and yet um, people have rarely heard of it. But it's um, a movie that was based on uh, the 1950s or 60s when like the Cold War was happening and this robot crash lands. Uh, on Earth, somewhere in Maine, and this kid finds it, and the robot is a sentient being, and the kid essentially is teaching this robot a lot of lessons about life as the rest of the world the adults quote unquote are trying to <laughs> destroy it because they can 't figure out if it 's a weapon or not, um, and they 're scared that it 's come from another uh another country that 's trying to kill or whatever so it 's a phenomenal movie it 's voiced by some very famous people, but there 's a really touching scene in the movie where um the robot is essentially asking what 's going to happen to him if the adults succeed and do. End up killing him, quote unquote, killing him, um, and the kid teaches him that souls don't die, and mm-hmm. it's this really, really beautiful um, piece in the movie. I get chills even now talking about it. This is one of my yeah. favorite films. Um, oh, I'm but got to this, yeah, <laughs> um, but just this idea of it, it's grief is so absolutely strange because I think you're right that like we're seeing and witnessing death with our eyes and we know it's going to happen to our physical bodies, and yet there's this really uncomfortable juxtaposition where. We also know, and grief growers, it's okay if this is not your belief as well, but this is mine, that there is something eternal in all of us. And so it's like this, we're all of a sudden coming up against, holy shit, I've never had to hold these two realities in the same hand before. Um, Like I logically know things will die, but to have the spiritual experience Mm -hmm. of death and yet know that spirits live on is a wild thing to reckon with. And I think that's part of our quote unquote job or mission as humans to figure out how to how to be not at peace, but like to have settled that or carry make room to have both of those realities be true. Um, and that, that leads into my next question. And I know this is different, um, for everybody, but how do you continue or honor the remaining soul spirit of your mom? Um, yeah. In the midst of your life, if you do believe that Hmm. her soul has not died, uh, where
1: is she and how does she show up for you? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, yeah. It's, it's little things. It's funny. I think honoring her has, has changed over the years. And I think I, I remember, uh, I think I read it was on your website, but I was reading about, I feel like you were, I think we're about the same age. I'm make, making a guess. Cause I think, uh, like you lost your mom in your teen years as well. Right. Or in your uh, early twenties, maybe 21 for me. And then I'm 27. Okay. Now. Okay. I'm, I just turned 28. So yes, we're, rock on. we're about the same age. Yeah. Um. I, there's something just with each passing year. So it will be 11 years, April 1st, that my mom died. And every year it's just kind of changed with how I honor her. Some years on that date specifically, I um, will go get like butter pecan ice cream because that was her favorite thing. Or I will um, just look through pictures of her or, I have these like video clips from like Thanksgiving that I'll sometimes just review, or um, even chatting with my husband or my friends about her. And I've had some really sweet friends over the years who have literally come and like left flowers on my doorstep with a card that's like "Happy Birthday, Teresa." Teresa is my mom's name, and um, it's been so amazing and life giving for me to have friends who, instead of being afraid of saying anything about my mom, who will ask questions about her because I love to talk about her. Um, because I mean, she. I don't know. It's weird sometimes how I feel like, and I guess it makes sense. It's out of people's own like discomfort. They don't want to ask questions about someone who's passed, maybe just from the fear of not wanting to upset <laughs> um, the griever. But I don't know if this is true for you or, or for everyone, but I, I enjoy being asked questions about her. And so um, that's one way. And then as far as where I think she is, it's, it's so interesting. I remember still uh, the night she passed away. So she had cancer, but then basically went to her oncologist and they gave her like two weeks to live. They were like, this tumor has spread. It's encompassed your entire liver. There's nothing we can do. And so she came home that night and actually ended up passing away that night, which was very bizarre. So it's kind of like long-term illness. And then she was gone. And I remember as you know, 17, but I was standing in her bedroom and she literally kept like Pointing like upward, I mean, like open the door, open the door, no, close the door, no, open it, no, leave it, like was going back and forth. And so I'm standing there, like literally opening and closing her bedroom door, not knowing that she is not talking to me. She's not even <laughs> seeing me. She, and so I'm standing her looking crazy, but she was engaging with what I believe. And I, I believe it was God, just that He was with her in that moment. So I, my hope, my belief is that she is with Him. And as far as what she can see, here, I have no idea. It blows my mind, and sometimes like stresses me out to really think about it. Cause I'm like, man, what if she's aware of this or aware of that? And I don't know the answers. And I think I'm learning. Part of my grief journey is is learning to be uh comfortable with mystery and sit in the unknown. Of like, well, that's what faith is. Sometimes, all all times, actually, I can't see it, but this is what I'm believing and hope to be true. And um, yeah. Thanks for asking that.
0: That is it's just a good question. I'm getting so many chills as you're saying this because oh. our our job and grief, some people ask what the purpose of grief is. And I struggle so much to to have an answer for people, but I think it literally just came out of your mouth. And that is to be comfortable with mystery. And I, I think it expands far beyond grief because there are some things in our lives beyond loss that are unexplainable. But this is like mm-hmm. the ultimate And Mm -hmm. to come face to face with it at 17 years old is like, wow. And I'm registering now that we've shared our ages is that uh, a whole decade has passed for you. And so I wonder if you can speak on the notion of milestones and also just inching closer to your mother's Mm. age when she died.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Milestones were hard. Um, The first milestone I remember was my high school graduation. Um, I was homeschooled, but I still went to this like really awkward two-day-a-week homeschooler co-op thing. (laughs) It was a time, let me tell you. Um, But there were probably only fourteen of us, but we still, you know, did the whole like graduation walk. And um, her not being there was like the first time. I was like, man, this is going to keep happening. Um, Meeting my now husband and like dating him and getting to know him and having him meet other family members and her not being there for that devastating. Um, getting married, I think has been the hardest one so far. We don't have any children yet. And actually that's something I'm terrified of. I want children, but I'm also, uh, terrified of the grief that I know is going to resurface with looking at a little baby and not being able to share that with my mom. Um, and even just having questions. So as a, as a newlywed, I found myself the day of my wedding, I think I anticipated a lot of anxiety, And it was beautiful in a sense that there really wasn't any. There was, we had um, a chair that was left for her, and I placed, like, she has had a Bible that had, like, her name engraved in the front of it. And so I put that and some flowers, like, in her chair. So she was still honored on that day. And I thought of her, but it wasn't heart heart wrenching on that particular day. Um, And so I think what I didn't expect was the month after we got married. So this was in 2015. Um, We'll be married five years in May. And, um, the month after my world just completely fell apart. I had never been, I felt so happy, which that's what's so weird is I, I'd never felt more safe. Um, because even though my mom was great, my family overall pretty dysfunctional. We didn't really talk about feelings. Uh, counseling was like for crazy people, which I'm a heavy advocate of counseling. Um, you know, you don't take any kind of medicine. that's that's nuts. Uh, or even just we weren't allowed to say the word "cancer" in our home. It was very, very strange and unhealthy. So going from that and after losing my mom to not feeling safe, that was like what I've learned, I think my mom ultimately had offered me um, was safety. And so I got married to this wonderful man, and I felt safe, and I was terrified. I think of anything compromising that or um yeah, anything compromising that or taking it away from me. And so uh that was honestly where my journey truly to like dig into my grief started because I was having panic attacks that were I mean, like we're talking like four times a week at least. I wouldn't go to the grocery store by myself. Um I was afraid of certain foods, just very strange things that were all coming back to Um, control. But ultimately, after talking with a really wise counselor, I was like, this just makes no sense because I'm so happy. She was like, no, it makes total sense because you're happy and because you feel safe. You feel safe to fall apart and to grieve what you have never felt safe to grieve. And I thought that was really insightful. And the amount of newlyweds I have now talked to who had the same thing happen to them is unreal. Like It's a thing. I had no idea. Um, anyways, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but that was such a big milestone and it did wreck me. So I I get a little nervous when big things happen in my life. I have to like prepare myself. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like each milestone is like you're creating,
0: creating a new contract or creating a new commitment, whatever it is, stepping into something larger and every time we do that it's like oh my god now that i've said yes to this i could lose this too and so the recognition is there and i love what this counselor said of we wait until we're safe to deal with grief and this is something i hear from my clients too i have people coming to me you know two three five ten years after Mm. a loss thinking they're crazy because they're still grieving i'm like your your life has finally settled the dust has settled and now the grief has room to come up front and center i also wrote something down of Um, I read something online recently that, uh, people think in the brain that joy and happiness is the opposite of sadness and desperation, but in fact, um, especially our extreme emotions like overwhelming joy Mm. and massive despair are really close to each other like next door neighbors in the brain. And so it's really easy Mm. for our brains to switch from one extreme to another because they live so close together. Um, in our brains and so in these places where we're like oh my god my life is so fantastic I can't believe I actually get to be in this place holy shit I'm still grieving um it's it's they uh, and people think they're crazy for. oh my god how can I let (laughs) sadness and despair in right now at this time because I'm supposed to be nothing but 100% happy I'm like oh these things are living right next door to each other and it makes sense you know, that they would both be showing up right now. And uh, I see that happening here too, of like, oh my God, it's the happiest day of my life. And yes, my mom's not here, but we honored her and we did it right. And then a month later comes crashing down. I'm like, oh, (laughs) we walked to our next door neighbor's Mm -hmm. house and said hello. (laughs) (laughs) And their door opened. And for as much as I'm laughing about it, yeah, this can be torture for a lot of people to not know that this is happening. So thank you for bringing that up. Because I've never heard that as a conversation either, but almost like, almost like postpartum depression, Mm. it's like post nuptial depression uh, that kicks in or post nuptial anxiety. And I have never before heard that uh, as a conversation out in the world. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I know we've got about uh, 10 to 12 minutes left here on the call. And I want to delve into your history with music and why these five stages of grief needed to exist in the world in the form of music.
1: Yeah. So my history with music, I grew up, um, listening to music. I grew up listening to the Beatles specifically. So just very melodic, uh, great lyrics, just solid, uh, it's a solid band. They're my favorite. Uh, still love to listen to them. Um, as a teen, I was writing a lot and, um, was shopped around to a few labels and kind of did that whole thing. I was never signed and it was kind of one of actually a situation where I, um, took a break from writing and from doing anything else, uh, that was creative in that sense. I would still like, um, lead worship at churches. So like do music things there. But as far as writing my own stuff, I just kind of took a break. And then, um, in 2017, I wrote five songs that were, Specific to my journey with grief, like they were for my mom. So I released them into the world. It was under a different name. Um, And that was more for me than anything else. But after releasing that, I had a lot of people coming to me and saying, wow, I really, I resonated with this. You know, I lost my dad or I lost this person. And um, I just started seeing a space for it. And, And even more so, just this ongoing conversation of, people when they're walking through something so tragic um we don't always have words to express what we're feeling or what we're thinking um just how our mind is processing what's happening and so as someone who um craves safety and security so enneagram talk for a second i'm a six and i just and I, i need security and safety and i long to create that for other people and so as an artist What better way than to use this tool that you know has been used in counseling offices and people have talked about um, and put it into the form of music? To where even if you know you've never lost someone, you can experience anger, you can experience depression, and so just using them as a guide um, to convey what I feel like I've experienced, but also what other people in my life have experienced. So, taking the time to sit with different people, um, whether it be they went through a divorce or, um, lost a parent, lost a pet, they went through a bad breakup, um, whatever it was just to hear their perspective and kind of research and gather that data and, um, create a lot of it too, actually was inspired by, I don't know if you know, the, um, sleeping at last. Mm, um, mm-hmm, yes, I do. Okay. So, oh, he's based out of Chicago. So. There you go. Did you know that? I did not actually.
0: I, yeah, <laughs> I, wanna, uh, I dated yeah. this girl in, in college and made a mixed CD of his okay. music for us.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. He's my favorite. And so I was, I've was. i always been inspired by him. Like He did a whole thing for the planet and for the Enneagram. And so I wanted to do that for grief because I couldn't believe no one had done it yet. I was like, there is space for this um, because music is universal. People hear it and it, it says things that Again, sometimes you yourself don't feel like you can convey. And it's something that I wish I had had um, as a teen, someone who'd written songs, because that's how I would have understood it, because I like music. Um, so yeah, that was, that was why I was like, I feel like I have to do this. And this is my way of giving back in a way, too, of like, I, yeah, I want to offer the security and safety that I have always longed for and craved when it came to my own, when it has come to my own grief journey. Um, and creating them was a beautiful process. It was hard. Ironically, it's not ironic. You're probably going to be like, that totally makes sense. But the hardest song to write was Acceptance. <laughs> mm. I think the easiest was Depression for me. Um, and so even just kind of how I felt writing each song. And um, so the production is very cinematic too. So I wanted strings. I wanted it to sound like it could belong in a movie. Because, um, I mean... I don't know. I don't know if everybody's like this, but sometimes life feels a little bit like a movie. Oh yes. Yeah, totally. um, <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted that to feel that way, especially with like the video element too, kind of doing the same thing of like it's very story driven, and um, yeah, it's it's my artistic interpretation of of grief and how I've experienced it, and how others have conveyed to me that they've experienced it. Mm-hmm. I love
0: that too, and I love that there's this acknowledgement of the five stages as the framework or the entry point, but it's not like you must listen in this order or you must, oh, you know, have experienced yeah. grief in this order. Because I know grief growers, a lot of people listening who picked up on the fact that this was five stages at the beginning of uh, the call when I introduced Frankie is, uh, oh, I don't believe in that. That's not for me, and yeah. it's a big conversation yeah. that's inhabiting the grief space. But I love this because even. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross herself talked about the five stages as buckets that we rotate between all the time until we die. um, Instead of, you know, a process that you go through and then there's an end point of acceptance, but I hear you in that acceptance is the hardest thing to write because how do you write acceptance when you still haven't entirely accepted yet? That's that, um, the tug of war between the eternal and the reality of death.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where acceptance for me writing that was, an acknowledgement that I am probably going to go back and forth between anger, bargaining, depression, denial. Like it's going to be an ongoing thing for the rest of my life. Uh, Grief has become a part of my life. And that is like accepting, it's accepting that. And so the chorus of that song, there's a line that I wrote that says, my hope is still healing. Just have to breathe in and breathe out. So it's, it's not an acceptance of like, okay, well, I'm done with that. It's like, actually, I'm going to need a process of healing like my person, like I'm going to be healing for the rest of my life. And that's beautiful. And I can accept that. Like it, I can't, maybe there are other things I can't accept right now, but I can't accept that I am healing and moving forward each day. And some days I may move backwards and that's okay. There's grace for that. And I think that's so true for me. Also,
0: my hope is still healing. Like, uh, I think we, we hope before loss because we're told to, Like, of course we would have hope and then something like hope shatters loss and we have to learn how to hope again or learn to, again, back to your words about, you know, being able to have faith again is extremely, extremely difficult. And we learn hope, faith, joy as skills and as practices, as opposed to the default manufacturer settings, Mm. you know? Yeah, Um, absolutely. So there's, there's almost, um. Wow, I have to shift this from something I used to do all the time without thinking about it to something that I practice doing. Yeah. And there's a real, there's a strain in that. And then there's also a very real beauty in that because when you do feel it again or when hope enters the picture again, it's like, uh, and this is a little rugged Americanism of me, but like, oh, I I earned it. Mm, you know, yes. it's been so long since I since I've seen you. Thank you for being here. I think yes. I've earned
1: you. Yeah.
0: Um, and it's not that it's not that hope is not free. I think it's free and accessible to everybody. But in order to learn how to tap into it again, we do have to do a lot of a lot of healing yes. in the aftermath of loss and it's ongoing. And uh, I just love yes. so much how that resonates in your work. Um, So grief growers, at the end of this episode and the credits where I normally play uh, the theme song for Coming Back, I'm actually going to be playing the first of Frankie's uh, songs for the five stages of grief called Denial. And can you tell us a little bit about this song that they're about to hear?
1: Yeah. So denial was an interesting one to write. It was probably of the five, it's the most, um, the one's the most, I guess, an artistic interpretation. So I wrote it as a metaphor um, in the sense that um, we, for me, again, I'll I'll speak for myself, but denial was very much a friend. Um, That was the thing that got me through the, funeral that got me through going through her closet and um just this it was a safety in a lot of ways that it was like keeping me from experiencing the weight of what had just happened and helping me kind of get through what needed to be done and so the song is that it's a metaphor talking about like the first verse says look where we are we've made it far the overgrowth is breaking apart and so it's kind of denial um it's de- denial personified personified taking me on a journey that is grief um and so that's kind of yeah again very artistic it's a metaphor um but the whole chorus just says don't look down don't look down now because i think there are times in life that you kind of have to look forward for a bit because it's you're not in a safe place or you're not um it's not the time to look down and to take inventory yet of what has happened and what you've lost. Um,
0: Does that make sense? (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm even picturing uh, working with clients in a group format called life after loss Academy. And I always put this disclaimer at the beginning of this is intense. You have to be ready to work with your grief in this 12 week setting because we, I use the picture of going down the well. Um, and so we 're literally climbing down this really dark, wet, damp place where we don 't know what lives down there, what critters are <laughs> present um, and then to return up the well again, having uh, acquired something, learned something, unlocked something, become something different. but yes, in order to to be in that place, we must feel safe, and at the very beginning, especially, there is this tune up block out, and don 't look down, yeah, and I remember that very vividly in my own. My own grief journey as well. And this is this is a song I absolutely love, even as the entry point to your work, but uh Standalone, I also fell in love with it Thank too. Thank you very much. Um Frankie, let people know where they can find
1: the other four songs yes. in the series as well as the rest of your work. Yes. Um, so one I started releasing them in January. So Denial is out, Anger came out this month, February, um, Bargaining will come out March 6th, and then um Depression and acceptance will come out April, and May. So basically the first Friday of every month, every month they come out. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Frankie Arella. And then all my work is also on my website, um, I'm on YouTube as well. So basically all the socials, you can find me and my work there. Frankie, thank you so much for
0: joining me on Coming Back and for creating such a safe place with your music. Thank you so much for having me. So that's all for this episode of Coming Back. Thank you so much to Frankie Orella for coming on to talk about God, anxiety, and how music can help us cope with devastating loss. Right now you're listening to the first song in her five stages series, Denial. You can find Frankie's grief collection on her website, FrankieOrella.com. And grief growers, when I say the music videos for Frankie's stages songs gave me chills, I mean it. Please go watch and listen. If you'd like to get online grief support for just $3 a month, pledge to support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash Shelby for You'll instantly get access to weekly grief journaling prompts and a monthly live call with me quick reminder that our next grief support call is happening on monday march 30th at 7 p.m central time i am so delighted this week to welcome emily and rose to my behind the scenes patreon community thank you so much for supporting the show if you liked what you heard today subscribe to coming back on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts and please tell a friend about coming back because you never know what someone you love is going through thank you so much to addy goldstein who composed our theme music You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Shelby Forsythia, or simply Shelby Forsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, email me at Shelby at Shelby Forsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing.
1: There are a lot of books about how grief changes us. But what
0: about how grief changes our friendships? I'm working on a new book right now about how grief impacts our closest, longest, and most intimate relationships with others. If you'd like to share a story about how grief has changed your friendship, made it more awkward or ended it entirely, please head to shelbyforsythia.com slash friends to fill out a submission form. You might just have your story published in my next book all about grief and friendships. Once again, that link is shelbyforsythia.com slash friends with an S. Thank you so very much in advance for allowing
1: me to read, witness and learn from your stories on grief and friendship.